The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. So quite a number of things then coming out of President President Cyril Ramaphosa's State of the Nation address tomorrow. You would have heard already about the four priorities that the president has identified for this year. Defeating COVID-19, accelerating economic recovery, implementing economic reforms and fighting corruption by by strengthening uh, some of the state entities. So we're going to try and dig a little deeper in terms of the announcements that the president also making yesterday. So the three that uh, I've picked, especially for the purposes of our show this morning have been what the president said around ESCOM, around small businesses. Uh, we'll get into that in a moment. And also uh, digital migration um, and, you know, some interesting announcements about when uh, the onboarding of digital migration is going to take place in the country. So in a week where many South Africans have been suffering uh, or experiencing load shedding, this is what uh, the president had to say on the issue of ESCOM. ESCOM is making substantial progress with its intensive maintenance and operational excellence programs to improve the reliability of its cold fleet. We are working closely with ESCOM on proposal to improve its financial position, to manage its debt and reduce its dependence on the fiscus. This requires a review of the tariff path to ensure that it reflects all the reasonable costs and measures to resolve the problem of municipal debt as well. In December 2020, government and its social partners signed the historic ESCOM Social Compact, which outlines the necessary actions we must take collectively and as individual constituencies to meet the country's energy needs now and into the future. The Department of Mineral Resources and Energy will soon be announcing the successful bids for 2,000 megawatts of emergency power that our country needs. The necessary regulations have been amended and the requirements clarified for municipalities to buy power from independent power producers. Government will soon be initiating the procurement of an additional 11,800 megawatts of power from renewable energy, natural gas, battery storage and coal in line with the integrated resource plan of 2019. Despite this work, ESCOM estimates that without additional capacity, there will be an electricity supply shortfall of between 4,000 and 6,000 megawatts over the next five years, as our old coal-fired power stations reach the end of their life. So let me bring into the conversation then Kariso Bowe, who is a public policy analyst at the Witz School of Governance. Kariso, very good morning to you. Let's just talk about then the progress that the president is talking about in reference to ESCOM. Is ESCOM turning the tide? Because the reality is that as South Africans, we base our experiences on whether or not we have load shedding. And as long as load shedding continues, the view of many people is that nothing is changing at ESCOM. Uh, morning, Cassie, and thanks for having me. I, I think that that's actually a, a good way to look at it, that it's a two-way thing. There 
is you and I as basic consumers of electricity day in and day out. And then there's industry. And I think industry is where that we should probably be looking towards. And if we look at what industry has been doing over the last, uh, say, one and a half years, they've been moving towards trying to purchase their own type of energy. So that tells me that they've sort of not buying into that ESCOM is reforming and they'd rather go for alternative means, which is very problematic because there's an often there's a discussion which we're not having is what happens when industry decides to leave the grid of ESCOM. It basically would mean that you and I might have to face the pressures. And then this really brings us to what you and I experience every day, that ESCOM, we know they say they're changing and we'd like to believe that, but for the amount of blackouts we're seeing, we're not really... You know, we're not we're not really willing to give them that advantage, and I think what's more worrying is because the economy is in, in such a slump, they've really not been tested. We cannot really hypothesize what would happen if the South African economy was really roaring. Would they be able to meet the demand? Mm-hmm. If anything, COVID has actually given them a chance to actually attend to their problems, but the question is, have they been able to do it? And I think we'll only see that in the coming years. That was the voice of Kariso Bowe. We're going to continue with him in a moment. You'll also hear Anne Bernstein. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. We're reflecting on the State of the Nation address by the President last night. I'll also be taking your calls, your SMSs on some of the issues that we're going to be talking about this hour. But of course, I'm, I'm happy for you to raise any other matters that stood out for you in terms of the State of the Nation address. The number to use this morning is 011-714-2006. The SMS line is 41391 and the WhatsApp line 0614-104-104. On Twitter at SFM Radio, the hashtag SFM Talking Point. Anne Bernstein is the Executive Director at the Center for Development Enterprise. Anne, good morning. Hi, Kathy. Hi, a pleasure to have you on air. And let's just expand then on, on the issue of ESCOM in particular. It's SMMEs that have been mostly affected by some of the unreliability of uh, the power supply because these are the businesses that shut down um, and are unable to come back to life when they can't do the work that they're in business to do. Look, um I didn't hear what your previous speaker was saying. I could, the line wasn't very clear, but I think the key thing on Eskom is there are lots of issues to fix, and we're in the middle of load shedding when the economy is not fully functioning, mm. and it all just takes too long. Now, there's a commitment in the in the speech last night to amend Schedule 2 of the Electricity Regulation Act, which is good. But why do we have to endlessly consult on how much embedded or self-help generation, you know, mines, farms, anyone who can generate, why do we keep having to debate how much is going to be allowed? Mm -hmm. Eskom, business, many people have said it should be 50 megawatts, but this is not yet resolved and there's going to be more delay because we're going to consult on how much is going to be allowed. Mm. So to to my mind, I think this is an example of the president failing to manage his cabinet properly. You know, if cabinet ministers don't deliver what he wants, they should go. Mm. And so we endlessly go round and round and round. We're going to consult on the skills list. We're going to consult on all sorts of things. I just think it was a speech that did not live up to what the country needs at this time. 
You're talking about uh, the the announcements around the procurement of energy. And one of the things he said was also the announcing of the successful bids for this 2,000 megawatts of emergency power. What else do we know about that, Anne? Well, emergency power was supposed to be done last year. Mm -hmm. If it's emergency, why is it taking so long? So everything with respect to energy takes forever. And um, look, I'm not an expert on all of this, but I'm not, I don't think we're making sufficient progress. And without a reliable supply of energy, we will not get growth going again. Mm. I want to, I want us to listen to some of what the president had to say, in particular on small businesses. Last year, we undertook to create a larger market for small business and designate 1,000 locally produced products that must be procured from small, medium enterprises. As the COVID-19 pandemic forced the closure of global value chains, we have been able to speed up the initiative as the local supply chains become more open for locally manufactured products. To this end, Cabinet approved the small-medium enterprise-focused localization policy framework, which identified 1,000 products. Furthermore, the Department of Small Business Development and Trade and Industry and Competition are supporting small and medium enterprises to access larger domestic and international markets. I've been very impressed with the work that these two departments have been doing. And let's talk about then the opportunity that has been created for small businesses. Well, it's not crystal clear. So firstly, the president talked about supporting startups, which we don't know how many then survive or what happens to them. Secondly, you can't just say, hello, small business, you must now produce for a global economy. Mm. Um, it doesn't work like that. So this entire focus on localization is not is going to undermine the ease of doing business, which contradicts what the president said last night. It will add to procurement and other delays and red tape for infrastructure and every sector of our economy. And I think we need to do other things to promote small business. So mm -hmm. those would be my priorities. I am not in favor of this enormous emphasis on localization when what South Africa needs is a globally competitive economy mm -hmm. and we need to get the economy growing as fast as possible and in as labor-intensive a way as possible and making a whole lot of requirements and new procurement rules and all sorts of things is not going to help South Africa. Kaki, so I want to bring you back in here because when governments talks about small business, it describes small business as being at the heart of economic growth in this country and that, you know, that is the area that needs to be stimulated if, in fact, we're to turn the unemployment numbers situation around. And yet we have many small businesses, even on the show, People that call in and say, we have not been able to access any of the services that we're being told about, that we hear about in the press briefings. But our experience with some of these agencies and entities on the ground is completely different. 
yes, it's, uh, there's always a disjunction. I, I always make the point that you cannot expect a government which is often by itself uh, still trying to find its feet, or one might even say it's functional, to be able to help business. Business, especially small business, is a dynamic uh, playing field. And what international literature actually shows us is that what the small business really needs is not so much that government puts their hands around them and tells them, do this or do that. It's the government actually says, listen, what do you guys want and how can we help you? Well, understanding what your guest says about the need to maybe focus internationally, you cannot focus internationally if your business is not even competitive in the South African, in the South African field. So I think what really needs to be done is that government needs to almost get people that know how small businesses run to be advising them and to actually let the reins off a bit. And by that, I don't mean it's totally liberalized, but to actually ask small business, where are we failing? And I'm sure the CDE has a lot of uh, explanations where government is failing. Mm. Finding those gaps and actually step back a bit and actually allow business, small business to actually compete. Because once you actually allow them to do what they are good at, then we'll be able to start seeing this dynamism. Because at the moment, Big small business not creating the jobs we need in South Africa because government is it's put a strain on it and there's also the unmentioned thing we don't like speaking about that the structure of the South African economy has the big players have been advantaged for I think for the last three decades and we also need to address that so I think it's an issue where government needs to do less but where they do need to play a role in is to be able to say where can we actually make basically get rid of the big blocks and mm. I think that's where government I don't know why they're shy to want to step away. But maybe it's an issue that they are so used to controlling everything that the thought of giving other people a, a space to play and maybe try things a bit. We're going to continue our conversation with our guests. I'll also be bringing in, bringing you into uh, this conversation. I'm seeing some of the comments that uh, you're sending in. Lots of them on that clip that we played of um, the of the <laughs> the ground forces of the MKMVA outside Nganda must say, you guys are hilarious. That's why I'm chuckling a bit. Uh, it's 9:30. We're going to go to news headlines. We'll continue on the State of the Nation address, and I'll also play you some of the WhatsApp voice notes. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. You're live on The Talking Point. We're reflecting on the uh, the President's State of the Nation address. We've already touched on the issue of power. We're now focusing on uh, small businesses because it is such a big issue and so many people have come under strain as a result of the impact of COVID-19 and some of the interventions around the extension of the TARS benefit. Do you think that that is uh, going to go a long way, especially for businesses that have uh, been impacted by these restrictions, the lockdown restrictions? Look, business and labor have been calling for this, and it's now been extended to, I think, the end of March. Mm-hmm. Um, this will help people who are in very difficult circumstances. But, but Kathy, I think the more important issue is the big thrust of the speech rather mm-hmm. than, if you like, some of the Band-Aids that we're using to help people in this very difficult situation now. Mm. And the real thrust of the speech has to be judged by, is it going to get South Africa back on a path of hope, of growth and jobs? And the context of all our crises, fiscal, economic, jobs, social, and so on. And I don't think the speech does that. I think it relies far too much on the state, which as we know is broken and corrupt in Mm. many areas. And it doesn't open up space for the private sector to to come to the party in as big a way as possible. I agree with your 
um, the previous speaker 100% that government are not the people to encourage business. Mm. They don't know how to do this. And there was too little talk of, you know, what will be the role of the private sector in helping to revitalize the Durban port and make it globally competitive? Mm. Not clear. Um, The whole infrastructure program, the president tried to tell us there was lots and lots happening. That's not the case. Um, The amount of investment in infrastructure in the public sector is declining dramatically, and the government has not introduced the reforms necessary in their own view. Mm. They told us they would introduce reforms to the public-private partnership regulations and the Public Finance Management Act in order to bring in private sector actors in infrastructure. That has not happened. The minister didn't, Mm. the president didn't talk about it. So... I don't see how, you know, we can talk about small things, but in terms of the big things that mm. the country desperately needs, I think the speech was was very disappointing. Um, we're in gridlock in terms of the infrastructure push, and the whole thrust on localization will hold everything back. It will not grow viable, sustainable small businesses, and it will hamper what we desperately need, which is, enormous investment Mm -hmm. from the private sector in helping to get the economy to recover. Of course, one of the other things that the president was um, mentioning last night was the economic reconstruction and recovery plan and some of the decisions attached to that. And yet that very plan has come under intense scrutiny with, uh, you know, some social organizations saying, but we don't even have details on this plan. We're talking about social compacts that have been agreed to within the NEDLAC forum. Those have not been made public. So we don't actually know what what has been agreed to here? Well, I think a lot of the NEDLAC documents, some of them are public. I'm not a defender of NEDLAC at all, but a lot of the things we predicted in our analysis of the plan last October are coming true. The state cannot drive a recovery plan. The state is too weak to do that. Mm. We have ministers who don't perform. The president said he wasn't going to make any promises last night. He made a few but, you know, take a, small things like the e-visas. We were told in 2019 that this would be implemented and we get world-class e-visas. Now we're told we're sort of going to implement it, not clear when, for 14 countries. Now, if the minister concerned hasn't delivered, why is nobody ever fired? Mm-hmm. So there's no accountability. We're never told what's the delay. Why can't we make progress? on a whole range of things, and then we have endless consultation. So we're going to finally get the critical skills list next week, and we're going to consult on what should be on that list or shouldn't. I think it's a very bad approach. We should just open our doors to skilled immigrants. We're desperately short. You can't work out, you know, what degree you've got and what job you end up doing. It's a, it's a archaic approach to how to think about our economy and skills. But we're going to consult and it's going to take time. Mm. There doesn't seem to be a sufficient sense of urgency and a recognition that the, really the, the main capacity the country has lies in the private sector and some of our big metros. And we're not playing to our strengths to try and get the economy moving again. There's nothing in this speech or the recovery plan on how we become a much more labor-intensive economy so we can get more jobs for 
for people who, who've never worked before. All right. And let me thank you so much for coming on to the show and being part of that conversation. And Bernstein, she is, uh, of course, with the she's ex- executive director at the Center for Development Enterprise. So let me bring you in here also just to wrap up with you. Uh, and it's raising a big issue of accountability. And when we look at last year, there's, there's simple things that we can point to. Right. We can uh, talk about the auctioning of spectrum. That deadline was supposed to happen last year. It hasn't happened. The president says it will happen this year. We're now also told about the switch to uh, from digital migration, uh, from analog rather to digital, that that is going to happen next month. It was something that was supposed to happen over a decade ago. Is the president not holding his ministers to account, as Anne is suggesting? I think in simple terms, yes, but then we shouldn't be surprised because it's it's the same question we asked, is he holding his own party account? So if you cannot hold your own party into account, which hypothetically speaking is your house, how are you going to hold the country to, to a much larger account? And look, this is not his fault in the sense that this seems to be how the ANC seems to work. And I think that the biggest question we need to ask is how do we find ways to put pressure on him and his party to start actually being held to account? Because all, all of us are held to account whatever jobs we do, whatever families we are. So I don't see why the and then number one in his party and the government should also not be held accountable. Is this because of the political machinations that are taking place in the party, Gariso, that you think, you know, he doesn't want to upset anybody, especially those that could well be in his corner? I, I want to say this. I'm not trying to be controversial in saying it. Is, I actually think President Ramaphosa, he's a, nice, he's a nice guy, but I think he's a man not of the times. And by that I mean... It would have been great maybe in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, following someone like President Thabo Mbeki. But to me, he seems to be a man who's stuck in this belief that the more I consult, the more it shows that I'm a leader. And he's very indecisive with the, with the task he made. So for me, I think it goes down to he, he's not really a man of this current time that we need. He's mm-hmm. the leader of the past, not the leader of now. Because the person we need now is someone who's be able to be brave and say, listen, I, I might bear my bridges in my own party, but I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to stand firm to it. And he just doesn't seem to have that ability. But as I said, he's a nice guy, but he just doesn't seem to have that ability. Kakiso Bowe is a public policy analyst at the Wits School of Governance. Kakiso, thank you so much for your time as well and for being part of this conversation. Okay, so I'm opening the lines now, the number to use 011-714-2006. You can get in touch with us on that line, the SMS line 41391 on WhatsApp 614 on Twitter. It's at SFM Radio, the hashtag SFM Talking point. So just some of the messages that you're sending through on social media this morning. Mvuselelo Dule says, Kathy, I don't take what the MKMVA says seriously because it is not a constitutional structure as it's confirmed by the Veterans League president, Mr. Snooki Zikalala. They can't make any pronouncements on any matters. Uh, somebody, Kaz says, Hi, Kathy, those MKMV Ndondon are a bunch of delinquents with nothing to do but time and misusing that time, undermining the constitution of this country. It must be something in the Nkandla tea. Moreover, for Zuma not to denounce them anyway, what do you expect from him? Uh, that's just uh, what the message that uh, you're sending on the line. Okay, we'll take a quick break and we'll continue our conversation. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. 
You're live on the Talking Point. We're taking your calls and your reflections on the President's State of the Nation address. In fact, let's kick it off with some of your WhatsApp voice notes. Good morning, kids. My name is Alfred here in Cape Town. Uh, about the sauna last night, you see, we are always uh, listening the same thing, more special about ESCOM. It's always uh, sauna is about ESCOM, you see, because uh, I remember when uh, President uh, Ramaphosa talked about unbundling ESCOM. It was also a state. It was also a, a sauna when he when he told us. Even last night, he's always telling about ESCOM, uh, uh, ESCOM, ESCOM, you see. So it's the same thing, you see. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Uh, morning, Katie. Uh, about the sun, I'm disappointed as usual. There's nothing new. Uh, it's just more talk and more talk coming from an overrated politician. Uh, there's no plan of action problems that we have uh, it's long time problems uh, no no zeal for solving those problems secondly i want to check do you know itumeleng uh, masala prof itumeleng masala who's the secretary uh, at the zondo commission he wants much for zuma's head to to fall uh, remember the biggest match uh, zuma must fall now is the secretary of of the zona commission i don't know what do you make of that thanks bye all right so we're continuing our reflections then on the state of the nation address let me bring into this conversation crystal duncan william who is a project leader at youth capital crystal a very good morning to you and thank you so much uh, for your time perhaps on the perspective of what was said about youth development what's the view of your organization Good morning, Kathy. We were very disappointed that I think there were about two sentences on youth employment mm. um, in the sauna last night. And considering the the dire state of youth unemployment before the pandemic, um, we really think that this should have featured more urgently on on the agenda. Um, we know that um, you know the president mentioned the number of jobs that were lost. Nearly half of those jobs were, were young people between Q1 and Q3 of last year. Um, half of the job losses were amongst young people. And, you know, at the beginning of last year, we already had over 8 million young people who were not in education or employment. Um, that number as of towards the end of last year is nearly at 9 million now. Um, this was a dire situation before COVID and it's become even more relevant. We were mm. really hoping to hear the president reflect more on the presidential youth employment initiative, which he launched at SONA last year. Um, and we understand that the pandemic has halted many government plans and um, policies, but uh, this is something that has to be at the center of any economic recovery plan. Um, as we kind of navigate these COVID and pandemic times, if we don't put young people at the center, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Mm. Um, you know, money in the pockets of young people is money that goes back into their local economies. And if you have a large unemployed population, um, you know, it's kind of a bit of a chicken and egg situation. How can we grow the economy if if people can't have no purchasing power because they're unemployed? Um, so overall, we were quite disappointed. Um, also, when it comes to education, the huge disruptions in education because of COVID, the president made no real mention. I think there was one sentence um, on it. 
Um, we know that wave three and wave four will hit us this year. That's going to be more more learning time lost for learners and students. Um, what is the plan to keep those learners on track and make mm-hmm. sure that they're not stuck behind, um, you know, for years to come? The current projection is it will take eight years for, for learners and students to get back on track to where we were pre-COVID. Um, and, you know, while we understand that, uh, the president has a lot to talk about. We really think that these are seriously missed opportunities in his speech last night. Numpumelelo Runji is a political analyst as well as founder and CEO of the organization Critical Thinker. Numpumelelo, thank you uh, for your time this morning. When you look at what the president has said, has there been enough innovation and dynamism when it comes to approaching the problems that this country is facing? Um, good morning, Cassie. Thank you for having me on. I think uh, wh- one of the glaring things in the state of the nation is that we hear very little talk about state capacity, how state capacity is going to be improved. Um, I mean, I've heard a little bit of the, the comments from the, the other guests. And in this country, we are not short of human capital. In this country, I don't believe we are short of even um, um, uh, finances and, and, and investment. Mm. Uh, what the missing link really is, is the capacity of the state um, to manage projects, to disperse, and to ensure that governance is actually taking place effectively and efficiently. And we have a political party now that has been in government uh, close on to three decades now, and um, I think there's a lot of complacency and very uh, difficult uh, party um, problems that are actually spilling over into the state. And that's why we see, I mean, uh, one of your uh, uh, comments that I heard earlier was that um, why President Cyril Ramaphosa can't himself make decisions. Now, this, this, this is not a Cyril Ramaphosa problem. This is an ANC problem because it's a political party that follows the ethos of uh, democratic centralism, Mm -hmm. meaning that, um, you know, decisions need to be made collectively and members of the party uh, have to toe the same line. And there's no way that one member of the party is going to dictate what the whole party is going to do. So the expectation that President Ramaphosa is going to stand up there and, and say some, something contrary to what his party uh, uh, would like. Um, there's a lot about negotiations. Uh, there's a lot about consultations. Mm-hmm. And when we see that happening, coming into the state level, it's what the ANC believes in. It's how the ANC believes in governing. So we, we've got a really uh, a deep problem of, of, of a state that really needs to be overhauled. But the ethos that is governing that state uh, comes from the political party, the governing party that's governing the state. And so uh, we're not going to hear the kinds of things that we need to hear from the speech uh, because they are deep political problems that, that, that we're facing, uh, particularly uh, the ANC as, as an, a liberation movement turned political party that is now have, that has now been incumbent for such a long time it's difficult for them to come up with new ideas. Uh, so the bus itself, the bus that is uh, driving, I mean, the, it's not only the driver of the bus, but the mm. bus itself is rickety. Uh, the bus itself is old. And we're expecting new ideas. So something has to give. Uh, in terms of, if we want to see change, societal change, we need to be speaking about um, 
how it is that we, we gear institutions to be more accountable uh, to, to citizens, how we gear uh, uh, public uh, servants and, and those who work in, in the departments, those who work in the public service, to be geared towards uh, accountability to society, to broader society. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what we really need to, to, to be talking about. Uh, the state is not in a, it has, doesn't have the capacity at all to manage any of these uh, uh, lofty uh, you know, programs uh, that the president is speaking about. And, and we do need to hear a lot more about what, what the private sector is going, is going to do, uh, what, what, what uh, civil society, what, 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 what activity we're seeing in civil society that, that is going to push a party like the ANC, that is going to push government to start taking um, um, citizens seriously. All right. We're going to continue our reflections after this quick break. I'll also be uh, taking some of your calls. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. You're live on The Talking Point. We continue getting reaction from some of our guests this morning. Crystal Duncan-William is a project leader at Youth Capital and Numbumele Lorunji is a political analyst. I'll continue with them in a moment. Let me go to Mike in Newlands. Mike, good morning. Hello, Mike. Can you hear me? I can hear you now, Mike. Fantastic. I'm going to deviate slightly, if you don't mind, Kathy, from my original point. May mm. I do that? Go Thank for it. Thank you so much. Kathy, um, there's a new commission or a group being started by the president to investigate corruption. Another bunch of bureaucrats we can't afford. But I want to challenge the, that group with this first case. On the 15th of the 12th, you had Tulis Nexi on your show. And I thought you were a bit tough on the man. You asked him some really tough questions. And considering he only gets $3 million a year at a luxury car for $1.3 million and a luxury house, he got quite upset when you asked him a few questions. One of them was, where is the $35 billion that got lost? He didn't deny that the money was lost in his department. And I'm saying billion, by the way, not million. And he also refused to answer the question as to why he got money from Mr. Sodi. And then he reluctantly admitted that he didn't really get the money himself, but it went to some children. And then he made you a promise. He promised you at the end of the week, and I forget the date now, this was on the 15th or the 12th, so the end of that Friday, a report was going to come out. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew at the time, Cathy, that there is so much corruption in this government, we can't keep up anymore. So I wrote a note in my diary to find out when this report has come up. There is no report. No report was issued as Mr. Nexi, Tullis Nexi promised us, the minister, on that Friday. And mm-hmm. to this day, we, nobody has gone to jail. Nobody has answered any questions. He got the $350 million, or was it? Billion, I suppose it was million. I don't know. I just can't keep up with the corruption. But the, the minister has gone completely quiet. And I would like to challenge you as well, Kathy, if you wouldn't mind. Let's follow through on that report. Did it come out on Friday as promised? Did he get the money from Mr. Sodi as he, as he, as he uh, doesn't deny that he didn't? And did he really give it to the children? And right. what, has somebody gone to jail for the 35 billion rand that has gone missing from his department? All right, Mike, a very important issue. It's kind of fallen off the radar. We'll certainly follow up here. Yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks for reminding us about that one. Spoon Durban, hello. Hi, Katie. Morning. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you, sir. Morning to your panelists as well. I'm mm. in the sauna. Katie, I had to listen because I was at work and uh, there was nothing else to do. Uh, and, and yeah, he, the guy is out of debt and he, he doesn't come up with new things. And he, the failure that he will have uh, come the end of his term is we will not have anything to show except to say there was a Zondo commission. Uh, he ended up with, uh, digressing, telling us about jobs that will be created by Suzu and Toyota and 
I mean, really for a president, he needs to have what his own government is doing. And mm. telling us about the performance contracts of your, of your ministers that you promised years ago that they've got performance contracts. Contract means nothing. We know they can't perform. All of them. Go to any, any uh, uh, department. You know that the performance is worse mm. than it was before. So it, it was just, just, just hot air. Nothing, nothing. I All mean, right. I, I, I feel sorry for the guy because he wanted to be the president so much, but uh, he, he can't, he, he can't deliver. Okay, thanks, Boo. Boo calling us from Durban. Uh, Crystal, you know, I, I just want to bring you in here because when we take a look at at, at unemployment. It's such a big issue from for this country, and it affects the majority of people in this country who are the young people. Um, when there seems to be such lack of distrust in government's plan for what the future of young people is in this country, what does that do? Well, I think young people are already distrustful of of government. Um, you know, if you if you take the example of uh, all of these initiatives to create employment opportunities for young people, they say, oh, it's just another website I have to sign up for. So mm. SA Youth uh, is a big, you know, the national pathway manager that a lot of noise is made about, a lot of money has gone into. Um, but they're saying, how can this... Uh, pathway management tool really help young people to access opportunities because young people become disillusioned. They say they sign up all these websites and nothing ever comes of it. Mm. Um, they, they talk about nepotism um, of how corrupt uh, municipalities are when they apply for learnerships and internships um, and who gets those and who doesn't. Um, there needs to be a lot more transparency for young people to trust the system. Um, and I think one way to prove that is to have systems in place that really work. That I, really was surpri- I was surprised the president didn't say anything about the fact that the NYDA still hasn't been able to select a board, yet he was praising the organization for the work they've been doing. Absolutely. Um, mm. I think that everybody uh, has been complaining about mismanagement of the NYDA for a long time. Um, and I know that there are um, attempts to make things more transparent, but it's going to take a lot more than creating a few more entrepreneurship positions um, for that trust to be rebuilt. It's been broken over a number of years. Um, and, you know, at a local level in communities, the NYDA offices are seen, again, to be places of nepotism and, and favoritism and corruption. Um, how do you shift that perception um, mm. with young people if you want this agency to be the agency that is going to coordinate um, efforts around tackling youth unemployment, then it needs to be an agency that young people see as, as valid and trustworthy and reliable. Mm. Um, and we need to think about, about that. Um, and, you know, if, if young people are going to be accessing any employment opportunities, we need to talk about certification. There was an article last year that came out that 40,000 graduates have been waiting, some of them, for the past 10 years. There's been a backlog um, of getting... Uh, their certificates from their TV. So they've qualified, but they can't prove that they have a qualification. And as a result, they end up doing entry-level work in, in retail schools. Sure. This is unacceptable. They have yeah. done the work. Um, and yet, the, you know, the administration is failing um, to provide them with the certificates that they need to access the jobs they're qualified to do. Crystal Duncan, let me thank you so much for being thank part so of much. this conversation. Crystal Duncan William, their project leader at Youth Capital. Numpumelelo, let me give you the last word here. What then is, is, is the way forward? Lots of disappointment coming through from, from the speech. So what lies ahead? 
Yeah, Cathy, I, I can't give any more hope to anybody, really. We can't expect much from a uh, government that is steeped in patronage. We can't expect much from a government uh, that has a belief in taking collective responsibility rather than individuals accounting, so that the ministers have signed performance agreements for me is neither here nor there. We can't expect much from a government that's not focusing its attention on strengthening capacity from local government to provincial government and then national government. We can't, we can't expect much hope. So the speech might have said a lot of things, thrown around a lot of figures. It might have sounded good in terms of reporting on what the president said last year. But it doesn't change the fact that even before COVID-19, this country was facing a crisis, an economic sure. crisis, a social crisis. And this speech really uh, is not going to be the panacea and the silver, bu- uh, silver bullet. A lot more needs to happen with regards to changing the ethos of uh, the, of the uh, people running the state as well as the public service and then also then overhauling um, the systems that are in place to All get right. rid of this nepotism and and uh, lack of opportunity All right. uh, uh, and equality. Nombumelelo, let me thank you so much for your time. It's just after 10 o'clock. It's time now for the latest 10 o'clock news with Nandika Bjorkas.